Hi, everyone. Thanks for checking out the Thrive Podcast. We are the Young Adult Ministry at Maranatha Bible Church, and we meet on Wednesdays at 730 in our Family Life Center. If you enjoy this podcast, we'd love for you to post it to your Instagram story and tag us at NBC Thrive on Instagram. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the cornerstone of our faith. God, we thank you that our salvation rests solely upon you and what you have done for us in the cross and in the resurrection. God, we pray for the next few moments this evening that you would be with us. Holy Spirit, would you minister to us? Would you encourage us? And would we leave here closer to you than when we came? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can go ahead and take a seat. Um, If you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and turn to Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 5 is where we're going to be tonight, and it's going to be on the screen for the most part, but I think uh, it'll do you a service to have it in front of you. And so last week, uh, we are week four in this Coffee with Grandpa series. Um, Last week when I started, what did I tell you right when I started? I I said, if I were you, what did I say? I said, I wouldn't come this week if I were you. I would just skip, and a lot of you didn't listen, so uh, joke's on you. But if you didn't come last week and you're like, oh no, what happened? Um, The reason is we are in this series, Coffee with Grandpa. The first night we talked about wisdom and how it's generic sometimes. Then we talked about a specific directional decision making and last week we talked about words and how wisdom with your words how to use your words and things like that and all of that is on our podcast if you're new you can listen to that and uh, tonight we are going to talk about purity yeah this will be fun and so next week uh, we will cap this off and we're going to talk about uh, money and being diligent and saving and giving and all those types of things and spending so a lot of you will be like yes tell me how to make some money so uh, tonight is if I had the option for most of the part, I would not decide to randomly just talk about purity. Like, it wouldn't be my first option in a sermon. I mean, I would rather preach on Jesus saying, I will build my church, spaz out, pass out, sweat halfway through, and not remember half the things I said in the sermon, because he will build his church. I'd rather talk about that. I would rather talk about how you can uh, have victory in your down seasons. I'd rather talk about evangelism or how to share your faith or just the gospel in general. So why would we or tonight talk about this idea of purity? Um, I am not, I want to let you know on the outset, I am not one of those guys that is going to give a bunch of stats and be like, 80% of you are doing this, and you know, make it real awkward. I don't think that's true. Um, That's not my goal tonight at all. I don't believe in half of that stuff anyway. Um, My goal is not to, um, you know, do this big guilt trip thing and make half of you, you know, think it's, you know, you, you know, you try and make a decision tonight and maybe we'll get a bonfire, throw a stick in the fire and make a decision or, you know, tie a knot on the cross. We're not going to do that. Um, the goal for tonight is for those of you, just on the outset, for those of you who would say, man, purity is something that you just have never struggled with. Like it's, as we're talking about tonight, you're like, this seems very foreign to me. I hope by the end of the night you feel like, man, I have some tools that I can make some wise decisions and really just put away in the files to to help keep me in the future. Um, For those of you who would say, man, every time this stuff comes up, I just get, I get smoked. Like, I get really convicted. I feel a lot of shame. That's not the goal tonight. The goal uh, for tonight is if you're struggling with a lot of stuff in this area, you would find some freedom tonight. 
It's going to take us some time tonight to get there. And then lastly, if you have a lot of shame from your past um, that is very real and it brings up a lot of hurt, feelings, and emotions, and memories, um, the goal is that you would leave here encouraged and reminded of what Christ has done. Um, the reason I feel like this is, could, could be the most helpful, the most practical um, one for us to talk about tonight is, is because um, there is this concept in the Bible that is called generational sin. Raise your hand if you've heard of that before, generational sin. So for those of you who have not, generational sin talks about in uh, the Old Testament where let's say your grandfather or great-grandfather had a sin that was really prevalent to him or to your grandma or to her. The generational sin, it would stay connected in the generation for third and fourth and fifth generations. The sin would repeat itself. History would repeat itself. And so what God would do in the Old Testament, which is really crazy, I mean, they were doing some crazy stuff, he would wipe out entire generations because people could not get their crap together. I mean, it's, 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 remar- it's not remarkable. It's sad. It's crazy that he did it. So like Canaanites could not get their stuff together, bam, he would just obliterate the Canaanites, like just crazy stuff. So anyway, um, there, I'm getting to why this is important. Um, there is, if I were able to talk to my grandpa, um, who I'd never met, I've shared this, and I were going to ask him questions about this topic, there is a phrase, I've met four people who knew my grandpa outside of my family, there is a phrase that goes with who my grandpa was as a person. I can't say the phrase, I thought about it, I shouldn't say it, it's not extremely inappropriate, it just wouldn't be fair uh, to, to him and to his name, so I won't say it, but there's a phrase that they would say, oh, George Duma, blank, 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 blank. And I'm like, oh, no, like, that's, that's it. Like, that's his name. That's how you remember him. And then um, recently there was someone uh, that was connected uh, to, our, to my family. And there are three typical sins or pitfalls that will really screw up a family. Really just can, I mean, take you, take you out. It's, it's power. Okay, some people they just get power hungry and it's like a drug to them. It's it's money and and people who get I mean money and I'll talk next week can make good people bad very fast. Some of you've seen it. And then last one is, is sex. It's power, money and sex. And I was referring to someone that was connected to my family and I had asked Pastor Butch the question I was like, "Man, the generational sin stuff just scares the daylights out of me." Like it just, it, it terrifies me because how, how connected are those? And it can't be that it's just absolutely going to happen to you if it happened to your grandpa. I mean, that's not a thing. So the way that he described it to me and why I think tonight is important is because he described it in this way. Michael, when you accept Christ as Savior, all of those things past, all of your past generational sin, when you accept Christ, they are redeemed, that they are forgiven, that your past, you are not your past, you are not your family's name, title, that you are redeemed in Christ. But this is what he also said. It does mean that past generational sins will still be a temptation for you in the future. He said you can't escape the, the temptation, you can't blame the temptation, you will have to own the temptation, and you will have to say, I'm going to make this decision for me and where I am. This idea of purity tonight, I'm not going to 
just come at the guys and be like, this is just a guy sin. I'm not going to come at the ladies and be like, this is all your fault. Like, I'm not, I'm not doing that. It's really weird when pastors do that. Um, you know, so then they're like, let's just split up. Girls over there, guys over here. So anyway, um, tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to look at this guy, Solomon. We're going to look at four lessons he gives in the book of Proverbs. Because if there is someone who messed up um, sexually, it was Solomon. Um, this guy that we've been looking at in the book of Proverbs, the phrase that I've said, and a lot of people have asked me, do you really believe this? And I do. I don't have a verse for this. It's just uh, an inclination or conjecture I have. Solomon had more opportunity for sex and sexual pleasure outside of God's design. He had sex more than you have thought of watching porn or being tempted to watch porn. This guy's past, his history, is absolutely crazy with how much he had at his fingertips, but couldn't grab on to what he was actually looking for. So before I jump into Proverbs, just real quick, some regrets from a sex addict. Uh, Yeah, that should be the title of the series, but uh, Ecclesiastes 2, um, this is what this guy said. He said, I said in my heart, come now and I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. This also was vanity. I got many concubines, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I'll just read chapter 7. I find something more bitter than death. Think about that. Don't just hear me say it or read it yourself, but think about that. More bitter than death. Death is pretty bitter. I, I, I mean, I'm not like celebrating when I'm going to die. I mean, I'm not nervous. I'm nervous about it, but it's, I mean, saying more, it's, this is worth, worse than dying, he says. The sinner taken by her while adding one to another, my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have found none. It says in the Bible, Solomon had 700 wives, 300 prostitutes that were constantly, I mean, this guy was a legit sex addict, and he added one to another. He said he tested his heart with pleasure, and the crazy thing about Solomon is this. You and I, or really, there's nobody that you know, nobody that you know, that had the resources that Solomon had to put sin and pleasure to the test. I mean, next week we'll talk. He had more money than you could possibly think of having. He had more stuff. I mean, this guy was, was pretty incredible. He had more wives and women, and he, I mean, yeah, I'm not going to say that. I'm going to pull back. He, um, he just had, he had a lot of, lot of temptations at his hands. Now, here's what is true about Solomon. God always wants to turn my regrets into wisdom. He always wants to take your regrets, and he wants to redeem them. You and I can make decisions with our regrets and bad mistakes. I mean, if we were to go around, I mean, and get really awkward, be like, all right, what's the worst mistake you've ever made? You know, and everybody went around. You would have terrible decisions you've made and terrible decisions I've made. And then we could say, have you redeemed, has has God redeemed that? Or have you just hung on to that? Because God wants to redeem it. He really does. He's not in the business of taking perfect people and helping them be more perfect to be really fake and then pretend to be perfect. That's not what he does. He takes broken people. He came came to help those who are sick and save them and help them. And he wants to take bad decisions you've made and bad decisions I've made, and he wants to redeem them. 
And that's what he does with Solomon. And this is what I've said every single time through the series. Mistakes are 10 times, and, and that's, being, that's exaggerating, and I know. It's 10 times better learned from someone else than learned by yourself. So we can take someone else's wisdom and say, I want to learn from that and not make the same mistake. This is why your parents always get so upset when they're like, I've been telling you that every time. You're like, you've never said that. My friend said it, and they're so wise. And your parents get upset because they've been trying to help you. And so with this idea, um, it, with Solomon, he wrote a book, um, and I've always went back and forth on doing a, the verse-by-verse study of Song of Solomon here, but we just, we can't. We can't do Song of Solomon. But anyway, he wrote a book in the Bible called Song of Solomon that's actually, um, it's, it's very, gra- you won't believe it's in the Bible, but it's there. And he wrote a ton about sex, that sex is God's design. It's what he invented. It's not something that the devil invented and God was surprised by. It's not like that. I mean, it is truly God's design. And Solomon knows and is giving wisdom to us that will help us make wise decisions. So with that said, let's jump into the first lesson tonight in Proverbs chapter 5. The first lesson from Solomon, chapter 5, verse 15. He says this, "'Drink water from your own cistern.'" flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the what? What's that say? Wife. There's four of you with me. The wife of your youth. You guys are so scared. I don't know why you're scared. I'm not nervous at all. I want to let you guys know. I mean, I, I preached on sex, I feel like, 20 times in the past two years, so I'm not nervous. Um, the wife of your youth, if you were here, scatterbrain, sorry, if you were here for uh, the sermon in the FLC that we preached on, what was the series um, that we did, and uh, some of you know what sermon I'm talking about, yeah, Miles, you know, some, how many of you were here for the weird story, raise your hand if you were here for the weird story, yeah, that was weird, um, yeah, don't, I, I don't even know if that's still on the podcast, we shouldn't be, we sh- yeah, that's... Yeah, I remember when Hope listened to that, she was like, you told it the wrong way. And so, um, anyway, I got to hone in here. A graceful doe, and let her breasts fill you at all times with delight and be intoxicated always in her love. The joke I always make, Proverbs 5.19, there's always some a guy about to get married or some college guy who wants to get a tattoo of Proverbs 5.19, let her breasts fill you at all times. But here is the principle from Solomon. God's design works best when it comes to this idea of sex and when you should have sex and how and what it looks like and who with. It's his idea. It's his design. So he would know best. It's literally what he creates in Genesis chapter 2. And in 1 Corinthians 7, he, God gives the confines for sex to be with one man, one woman, confined in marriage. That is the the restrictions or what God is saying. And here's what you and I have to ask anytime we are confronted with an idea that we don't necessarily like. We have to ask ourselves the question this, does God know better than I do? In In a day, in a day where self is, is literally elevated to the point of being God. It's just 
what makes you happy, what feels good, good for you, you can do whatever you want to do, that you go get it, that this is for you, and no one can tell you what to do, and you have to, I mean, that's a bunch of crap. That is a bunch of crap. You have no idea what you're doing. I have no idea what I'm doing with life. I have to go to the Bible, and I have to say, God, what do you say? And if God gives restrictions, it's because he knows what he's doing. He's been around longer than you. I know a lot of you are super wise. You've made some big time money. Um, you made like 300 bucks this summer mowing lawns. You've, uh, you've dated some people. You have some, some wisdom. But no, seriously, you have to say, man, does God know more than I do? And here's what I want to say, and this is a tad bit of a rabbit trail, but it's important. If you cannot, cannot, if you're looking for someone and you're in the process of trying to date someone, if they're not going to submit to God's design now, what would make you think that on wedding day they will magically, oh my gosh, I want to follow God's design? If someone can't be faithful to God when you are dating, they might, might not be faithful to God when, when you're married. It would just logically make sense. The first principle or lesson from Solomon is God's design works best. The second one is this, Proverbs 5.23 he dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. So Solomon talks about this idea of, of discipline, or really self-control. Um, self-control is not, again, it's kind of the same thing. It's not popular. It's not something that people talk about a lot. But if you were to read, and, and we'll get into all three, Proverbs 5, 6, and 7, he is constantly bringing up the idea of self-discipline or denial. Um, he's bringing this up because if you and I don't have the ability to attempt, attempt, even just to try to discipline ourselves in this area, this, this is the area along with money that God is saying, if you can't discipline yourself here, where are you disciplining yourself? He says someone who can't discipline themselves, they, they die for the lack of it. If they can't set boundaries in their purity life, they won't set boundaries with their money, they won't set boundaries in their relationships, they won't set boundaries when it comes to decisions. I mean, it just, it trickles down. Because Solomon talks about the two most important things when it comes to discipline. It's, it's sex and money. And so, I've said this phrase over and over, I need a fence to make sure I stay disciplined. I would never, I would never and should never trust myself because sin makes me stupid. Sin makes me stupid. We should say that as a group. We don't have to. We won't. But you, you should. You, sin makes me stupid. It makes you stupid. It makes you compromise. I know um, I can think in the past when I've been making a dumb mistake or decision that I have compromised in, it's typically because I've rationalized myself into it, and I'm like, ah, it's just not that big of a deal. Ah, it's, it'll eventually work itself out. Ah, it'll, it'll, it'll eventually stop. Or, ah, it's not, I mean, they're doing it, what's the big deal? Or that's, that's what they do, so what's the big deal? And it's really, it, it, I mean, you just, you just become really, really dumb. You, you become really dumb. And the question that is typically asked is this, Mike, does God not care about Old Testament saints or Old Testament prophets who had multiple wives? Okay, uh, Abraham, 
he, uh, he wasn't necessarily killing it on the purity chart. Um, David, he, he wasn't in your top five uh, when it came to purity. Um, you look at, uh, I mean, there's certain guys in the Old Testament, and it's like, why did they have multiple wives? And, and here, here's what's important to know in the Bible when it comes, when, if you're starting to read the Bible, this is important. Some things are written in the Bible that are just stories of what happened, not necessarily what should be done. So sometimes God allowed something to happen. It's not that he was, you know, super excited that it happened. Make sense? And in the New Testament, you have Paul constantly saying that a man should be a one-woman man. You have Jesus talking about marriage, and he was constantly going back to one man, one woman, one lifetime. That was, that's what he was going back to. And a lot of people ask that question, but I need a fence. If I don't have a fence, I will fall down the steps. It's the same thing my daughter is just now learning how to do steps. I mean, she's scaring the daylights out of me. She walks super close, and I'm yelling, sit down, sit down, sit down, because what am I afraid she's going to do? She'll face, I mean, she'll dive right out. I mean, she'll just jump, you know, and I'm like, you know, <laughs> uh, it's true. What, I mean, she face plants right in the mulch, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. So you, what do you do as parents? They'll set up a fence to protect someone, a child, who's not ready to make those decisions from falling down. I need a fence. So the question that you'll have to ask is this. What are some fences that you have in your life? Do you have any? Do you have any fences? Anything protecting you from when you get really dumb, really lonely, really isolated, really not following God, or, you know... Where are your fences and, and who's helping you set those fences up? Because one thing is certain, you should not be responsible for setting the fences. Because what will you do? You'll just pull it a little bit further. I wouldn't, I wouldn't trust yourself to set certain fences. You have to ask someone else, hey, what do you think I should do? Or hey, when are you going to ask me how I'm doing in this area? When are you going to ask me how's my discipline? You, you give them the authority to, to help, help you set a fence. And the third lesson from Solomon uh, is in Proverbs 6. And I want to be clear, just because Solomon says, my son, my son, my son, it doesn't mean he's just, the, the principle just applies to guys. If he was talking to his daughter, he would have said, my daughter. He, he's saying, my son. The, the principles are interchangeable. So Proverbs 6, 20 to 29, he says, my son, Keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. And when you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and, a teaching, and teaching a light. The reproofs of discipline are the way of life. To preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of an adulteress. And here's the, here's the principle. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? That's a question. Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. The principle is this. If I play with fire, I will get burnt. You can't carry fire next to your chest and not get burnt. If you walk on hot coals... 
Don't be doing that. Don't, I don't want to hear that on Monday night, guys. Connect. We're walking on hot coals to see who can get across the fire. Uh, but you don't, you don't walk on hot coals because you're, you're going to get burnt. And this is the principle he's saying here in Proverbs 6. Don't put yourself in a situation where you're probably going to make a bad decision. Don't be with someone who's probably not going to help you make the right decisions. If, if I play with fire, I'm going to get I'm going to get burnt. I'm going to get I'm going to get messed up. And don't don't convince yourself that you're the exception, because that's typically what we'll do when it comes to these things. Someone will have a conversation with me, and they'll say, "I know that this is wrong, but I think that this is okay because." you know, you fill in the blank. You'll think you're the exception. And I would just say, when it comes to the area of purity, you can't expect someone who's not following God to make godly decisions. You just can't. Or even following God in this area. And if it's a big deal for you, it's got to be a big deal for the other person. If you play with fire, you're going to get burnt. And here is a weird, weird um, thing in the Bible that takes place. Solomon keeps saying, my son, my son, my son. Solomon's dad was David, King David. David committed the most epic, worst, I mean, mon- I mean, poor David, this guy's getting, anytime sexual sin comes up, we're like, let's talk about David and Bathsheba, right? I mean, he commits a terrible sin. David commits this secret sin with Bathsheba. Solomon is his son, and he, be, he now commits David's secret sin, which is open before all in public. Anyone know who Solomon's son is? Rehoboam in 1 Kings 12. People come to confront Rehoboam. You guys talked about the men's study a couple weeks ago, or the guys connect group. When people come to confront Rehoboam, guess what he does? He kicks him out of his life. He says, my son, listen, listen, my son, because sometimes generational sin, it just gets more and more exposed. You have to know, what are the temptations going to be? Solomon's, or, or David's private sin was Solomon's public sin, which was Rehoboam, I mean, just totally took the family off the map. So you got to say, man, what temptations, what temptations are in my life or in my family that I need to be the one, at least at this point, who's going who's gonna to break a chain? Who's going to break a chain? If this is, and, and it couldn't even be in the area of purity. It could, just, it could be in any area where you say, you know what? I want to be the first man or first woman in our family's generation who does this, who takes God seriously or who accepts Christ or who changes, changes the trajectory of the, the future name. I posted a couple weeks ago about generational stuff with my dad and how my dad was a chain breaker. I mean, I was typing, I'm crying in the truck with him. I'm like, man, my dad, he got, because he, he's a chain breaker. He got, he trusted Christ 44 years ago, and it's, and it's true that it doesn't mean we don't struggle and doesn't mean temptation's there, but, I mean, it's incredible. You think of the generational uh, blessing that takes place because of one person decided to share with someone and they made a decision for Christ. And the question is, what will your story be, your story be in this area when it comes to temptation and purity? The fourth lesson from Solomon is in Proverbs chapter 7, uh, verse 21. It says this, with much seductive speech, 
it, should, it could be he or she, persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her. As an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare, a trap, he does not know that it will cost him his life. What Solomon is trying to say to his son, or even to us as wisdom, it will, or it costed him, it will cost us more than you're willing to pay. It, it always does. Sin takes you, I forget how the phrase goes, it goes, there was a professor would always say, Mike, sin takes you further than you want to, further than you want to go, do more than you ever thought you would do, be who you would never thought you would be. It just takes you further. It just, it, it's a, it's, I mean, it just, as an ox goes to the slaughter in this area, it just kind of lures you in, it tricks you, it lies to you, it deceives you, um, I was actually going to look at it, but there was a, a post um, that uh, a buddy of mine put on Instagram today, and it was a Christian organization, and it said, what is one thing um, that you wish, you wish someone would have told you about porn before you ever saw it? And it was just, I mean, the comment, there was thousands of comments, and it was a lot of people that were saying pretty much what the Bible was saying. I wish someone would have told me that how much it would affect my, my future sex life and my, my marriage. I wish someone would have told me I could have, I, I didn't have to, I, I could have told someone and got help. I wish someone would have told me that those, those things that are affecting me truly affected all of my relationships, not just in my sex life, but in, in any relationship. It affected every area. And it just went on and on and on. And, it, it, and this is for, true for anything. It always costs you more than you want to pay. It's always, there's always a greater debt or the account is always running. The credit card debt is coming back. It's more than you want to you pay. So what I would like to do as we kind of finish this out, um, I, Sydney, I am going to stick with that. I want to ask the question because I know some of you might be asking this. Does God actually expect me to stay pure and only have one? Um, this, is, this is huge. Some of you might be thinking, this is a bunch of baloney. I mean, how old is the Bible? There's no way God anticipated um, us to have phones and technology and these kind of temptations. There's no way God thought that or knew that coming and then thought that we would actually stay pure. There's no way. And it says in 2 Peter 1.3, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Everything. That God has not left you out to dry. He doesn't ask you to do something and then not equip you with the ability to do it. And then it's in 1 Corinthians 10. No temptation has overtaken you that such is common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God will always provide the way of escape. Um, I wish we had the time, but um, in Genesis 39, you should read the story tonight if you're a Bible reader. If you, I'll, we all, Hopefully we all are, but listen to it in the car on the way home. Um, it's a story of this guy named Joseph, and there's a lady who throws herself at him, and Joseph flees. He runs. It says in 2 Timothy 2.22, So flee youthful lusts. 
You can't trust yourself. You got to run. I mean, break a door down, you know, brick through the window. Do, you do what you have to do to run. I mean, do something stupid. I don't run. Like, if, if temptation's coming to you, you run. God expects you to stay pure and only have one. He really does. And he equips you to do so. And it says in Matthew 5, I want to talk about how adultery starts with the heart and moves to the hands. Jesus says this, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. He quotes Exodus uh, 20. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust, lustful intent, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So here's the part that sucks tonight. That adultery starts in your heart and it moves to your hands. That's how most sin takes place. And um, when the first time, and this is a crazy, ironic story that literally happened on Monday. The first time, though well, this, <laughs> I got to back up. Um, when, I was, when I was 10 years old, I, I was at Lake Center Christian School. And give me a shout out, Tigers. I don't even have, know if they have a shout out. But anyway, uh, Tigers, yeah, woo. Um, that was weird. But anyway, uh, <laughs> thank you, Stephen. Uh, that when I, I, I had a friend, and I was at his house, and the first time I saw porn, I, he, we walked into his room. There was a bookshelf or a thing right by his bed. He pulled it out, the drawer, and he lifted up his Bible, and he took the porn magazine, and he showed it to me. I was 10. And I was like, what the heck? Like, I, at 10 years old, I had no idea. Like, I was like, I felt like, I, and I mean, we were like, I, we probably were in a small group together at Lake Center. I don't know. And I still remember how significant that moment was, and a lot of you do as well. The first time you saw it, you're like, you felt how emotionally and spiritually it impacted you. It, it started in your heart, and it's how the devil totally messes up what God has designed. Totally crazy story. That guy, we haven't talked in five years. This is what I was going to get to. Five years we haven't talked. I wrote down his name because I wanted to reach out to him. I don't know why. God put him on my heart. And I started, I, I just, I wrote it down in my phone on my notes and I started to pray for him just as I was writing it down. On Monday, this guy, four years we haven't talked, sent me a random message. Hey man, where do you go to church? He is not following the Lord at all. Texting me, his, I mean, we were just texting on Monday. His uncle had passed away. He needs help getting back on track. And I was like, watch God redeem something with this guy. Where I want to be in the baptismal water with this guy in a couple weeks. But anyway, uh, uh, God wants to redeem these type of situations. And here's why, here's why it's so important. Because porn is not something that just affects you. It affects people around you, and it affects your future. It's the only sin, it's the only sin in 1 Corinthians 6 that the, sin, that the person sins against his own body. It's the only time. It says it in 1 Corinthians 6, 18. And so it starts with your heart, and it moves to your hands. That's how most sin happens and starts. And so now I'm going to get practical, and then I'm going to hopefully leave you with some hope here tonight. So... Um, God's advice for singles. I shared some of this a couple weeks ago in the FLC, but I kind of honed it in here just for uh, tonight. Make a covenant with your eyes to protect your heart. Job 31.1. Some guys, some of you, if I've met with you or we've talked, I've said, hey, let's be the 3 guys. 
You make a covenant with your eyes, he says in Job 31.1, that you would not gaze upon a virgin, that you won't lust, that you won't lust. You make a covenant with your eyes, a promise with your eyes to protect your heart. Number two, fornication is an internship for adultery. Um, the reason I said this, and I referred to it a little bit ago, is if you're with someone and there's really no commitment to God in that relationship, what would make you think on wedding day that person magically, oh, now they want to be committed to one person and follow God? It's an internship for adultery later on. You have to say, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be committed to God's design. And number three, porn doesn't just affect you. Um, it's so, tr- it should be 618, 1 Corinthians 618, um, it's so true that it, it I mean, and I'm not going to get into the whole psychological, and some of you have read some of this stuff or seen videos of people talking about how it affects people in the long run. I've talked with married men who would say they couldn't get married unless they had pornography, right? It, it, it totally, yeah, it totally deceives, it tricks, it lies, it does everything that God doesn't want for marriage, um, purity needs a plan of a, a want to and a plan of how to. It talks about in 1 Corinthians 7, 5, even in a marriage relationship, um, how Satan comes to attack. In this specific area, you have, I mean, people, we're just, we're just very weak and vulnerable, and Satan will come to attack specifically in this area. And, I mean, it doesn't take much. Right? It's, it's an old memory. It's an old person you see. It's someone you had a conversation with. It's someone put a post. I mean, it, it doesn't take much. And next thing you know, you're, you're caught in a sin that you never thought you would be doing. You need a plan, a want to and a plan of how to. Here is how I'm going to do this. I'm not just going to say, man, I would really like to be pure. How am I going to do that? Who is going to help me? And lastly, Come clean before you get caught. Again, this is the story of uh, David, David and Bathsheba. The longer David held his sin under and lied and tricked, the worse and more epic it got for the nation of Israel and for him and longer down the line. The longer you shove sin under the rug, the deeper it grows. It's not going to disappear. It's just not. As much as you would like to think it will or hope it will, it just, it can't. So, let me end with these two things. Um, And here's where I want to hopefully provide some encouragement for you tonight. Believe it or not. Israel cheated on God and so have we. Um, The Lord said to me in Hosea, Hosea is probably my favorite minor prophet. It's better than Jonah. I mean, puts Jonah in the dust. (laughs) Hosea's the best, okay? He says this, go again and love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods, God actually, it says in Ezekiel, is, I mean, he divorced the nation of Israel. God divorced the nation of Israel because they would not listen and they kept turning to other gods. In uh, Jeremiah 2, they were going to wells and waters that couldn't hold water. So finally, God punished them in divorcing the nation of Israel. In Hosea, it gives an illustration. It gives a story. And the story is this, in a gist. 
there's a married couple. The man loves the woman. The woman does not love the man. The woman goes and commits adultery on the man every single day. The man pursues the woman every single day. And here is just, I mean, uh, I had a mentor explain it to me this way. He said, Mike, the man would pursue the woman every single day and bring her back home. And can you imagine the conversation that the husband would have to have with the wife every single time she would commit adultery? Why are you doing this? I'm sorry, I love you. Go again. Why are you doing this? I love you. Come back to me. When he says go again, it's explaining God's unfathomable love toward us while we commit adultery and idolatry against God. God's screaming, go again. If you go again, I will still come and get you. Go again, love someone else who won't love you. Go and turn to another God. And while you are going to turn to other gods and while you commit idolatry, which is adultery against God, he still says, yeah, go again because his love will still pursue despite you turning from him. That is mind-blowing. So while we have committed adultery or idolatry against God, God says, yeah, that's fine. Go, go again, love a woman who's loved by another man. I don't care. He's like, I'm still going to come and get you. I will still drive to the house. I'm going to go in the house. I'm going to pull you out of the house, put you in the car, and I'm going to drive you home because I love you, because we have a connection, a relationship with you. God says, go again. That is God's love. It's crazy. It, we can't wrap our mind around it. We, we, Jesus says this. Who are you when you love someone who loved you? Even, even tax collectors, anybody can do that. But the love that we're called to love like Christ is to love when we have enemies who persecute us, who yell at us, who revile against us. That's the love that God has for you. When you didn't love God, guess what? He loved you. When you didn't pursue God, God pursued you. And I'll wrap up with John chapter 8 just because we have to. They brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst said to Jesus, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? And Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And he said, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman. And Jesus said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on, sin no more. You see, when you become a Christian, when you accept Jesus, when you confess your sin, it says in the Bible that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That he doesn't condemn you. That he calls you in, he doesn't reject you, he receives you, not when you get better, but as you are. When I first accepted Christ, I had some serious shame and guilt, particularly in this area. There were certain streets I could not drive down without sobbing. It was, it was so bizarre. There was locations that were connected to this sin for me. It was, I, I mean, I didn't even know how the devil was attacking in this way. 
And it says in Revelation 12, he stands over the brethren accusing them day and night. And there would be certain people I'd run into. I'd be at a basketball game and I would have to leave. I mean, it was, it was so intense. I was like, I thought, I thought following Christ, I wasn't going to have this condemnation. But it was in those moments that it took time to heal. It didn't happen overnight. But God slowly and surely brought forgiveness, redemption, and healed me, not just spiritually, but also emotionally and relationally. That I, I still can't, Hope and I still talk to this day, it is incredible to us how God has redeemed something in our life and in our marriage that we didn't even think he, we were uncertain. Could, could he redeem this? Could he redeem all the mistakes, all the bad decisions that we had made in high school and in previous relationships? Could God redeem this? And the only thing we knew what to do, the only thing, the counsel we talked to and almost unknowingly trying to make a wise decision, we said, we're going to, we're going to step into this relationship, this marriage that we were stepping into, not holding anything in the dark. We're going to bring it all out in the light. We're not going to lie. We're going to tell the truth. And we're going to ask that God would redeem it. And I want to let you know, if a lot of you feel like, man, you feel condemned, you feel like Jesus doesn't receive you, you feel like church always condemns you, that is a lie from the pit of hell that is from Satan himself. That when you come to Christ, there is no condemnation. He receives you, he redeems you, and he reminds you, go on and sin no more. Let me pray for you guys. Heavenly Father, we thank you for tonight. Um, God, even the topic tonight and how serious and heavy it is for a lot of people, I pray that you would minister to um, our hearts and minds, and for there was a lot said tonight from the book of Proverbs. I pray um, if there was one or two lessons from, from Solomon that we got, would you help um, us to apply one of them? God, I pray that you would help all of us to pursue purity in Christ and what you would call us to. And God, for those who are here tonight who probably they're just struggling with past mistakes or things they've said or shouldn't have done. I pray that you would, Holy Spirit, would you bring a sense of peace as they come to you? God, I know as the devil would like to attack here, I know, God, that you would like to shed some light and bring forgiveness. So, Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you for this evening. Without your word, we wouldn't have anything to talk about tonight. And without the gospel, we would have no reason to be here. So, Lord, would you help us to walk with you closely and specifically in this area? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, before you